Well, why don't you be seated? And, um, <clears throat> you know, we've transitioned a little bit of our structure so that we can have a little more worship in conclusion. I want to, in a sense, activate the Word in our hearts and that which God stirs within us. We want to bring that as an expression of worship in conclusion. So we'll take some more time uh, in worship. But I, I, I want to first remind you of something we spoke about last week because it's significant to what we're talking about. This week it ties in really closely. But the woman at the well, here's Jesus. He's coming. You know, he's, he's weary, the Bible says, and this is Jacob's well. And um, the Samaritan woman comes, and there's this conversation, and, and he starts to talk to her about the living water that's available, not just the water naturally that she's thinking about, but a living water that you'll drink and never thirst again. And uh, it was such a beautiful conversation as we just evaluated the barriers that Jesus was crossing and uh, socially the tension that he was addressing. But the thing that uh, really all week I've been thinking about was a statement I made in the message, and it wasn't even something I'd really thought about a lot in advance, but it's how God doesn't just bring living water to us to refresh us so that we can make it for a season before we come get another drink again. But He actually brings living water to us according to that text of Scripture so that that living water becomes a well deep within us that springs up out of us to serve the world around us. So it's not just about water coming to us, but it's about you and I becoming a part of that expression of God literally from uh, just who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us. So with that in mind, I want you to, to think in these terms. Um, I think a lot of people don't allow the flow of what God's wanting to do because they are so caught up in feeling unworthy before God. And so we're talking in this season about the outrageous grace of God. And I believe that if we could be truly convinced that God loves us, it will change everything about the way we focus, everything about the way we function. And the, the less we're convinced God loves us, the more we contend with this idea of works and a sense of having to earn the love of God. Now, the whole idea of speaking from a future frame of reference, I just, I feel that's a little bit of what I'm doing today. I almost felt like the, the insights I'm going to share are are good insights and, and the things that you'll be able to say, oh, that, that's really a good perspective. You know, I, I think that you'll like the concepts, but it's not about that. I feel like the Lord's assigning me to speak almost from a future frame of reference with what I want to explain. And so if it even can make sense to you, I'm going to ask you to try and look beyond the insights uh, that we're going to look at and just see what is it that God's depositing in your heart right now in this moment, because that's that's just how God operates. He does something deep within us, and then that begins to, to well up within us, springing out from us to the world and everybody around us. I, I'm convinced that people, uh, Christians of our day today, are way more hung up on earning God's love than they realize. They're way more hung up on the feeling that you have to earn God's love. Many of you in this room don't even know how deeply that's ingrained within you. And it, it does, uh, you know, it strikes a chord to think about this righteous God, and, and here we are, and, and like, He loves us, and, you know, what, what, what should I do in response to that? And I mean, it's just so easy, particularly for religion, to use this man manipulative force to get people to do certain things a certain way, 
After all, you want to please the Lord, don't you? I mean, that essence of that is so wrong. And, and I want us to see it from a, a different perspective perhaps today. Uh, I heard this story about a little girl who was adopted, and the family, you know, took her as their own. She became their daughter, and um, the little girl took her to church. And as they're getting her checked into kids' church, um, the little girl starts to put it all together that she's about to be dropped off, and the, the mom is going to leave her. And you have to understand, when you're adopted out of an orphan mindset, um, it's very different than when you grow up with the confidence of being a son or a daughter, knowing that all of your life. And so the little girl reverts to what she's known in terms of an orphan mindset, and she suddenly uh, gets very emotional and starts breaking down, crying. And the mom's not sure what's going on. She's just getting her checked in. And she leans down and says, sweetheart, are you okay? And the little girl reaches up and clutches her necklace. And she said, um, can I wear your necklace? And so the mom, you know, just thinking, it's calming her down a little bit. She takes off the necklace, puts it on the little girl, and says, okay, uh, you know, go ahead. And, and she, she calmed down after that and went on to kids' church. And uh, later, you know, she came, picked her up, and it was, everything seemed fine. But that evening, she asked the little girl, why did you want to wear my necklace? And she said, well, I knew that you loved your necklace enough that you would come back for it. And she had so little confidence in any idea that her mom loved her that she needed to grasp something that would give her a sense of confidence that her mom wasn't going to abandon her, but she would come back. And I want you to think about it because our works in many ways are like that necklace. If we don't have a sense of confidence that God loves us, then we're grasping for something to have a sense that God really does love us. And I, you know, I, again, I just think there's way more of this going on within the church world today, and it lends to such spiritual dysfunction that we don't even necessarily understand the depth of spiritual dysfunction that exists. But if we can really allow the Holy Spirit just to reveal and unveil God's complete, unconditional, amazing love through Christ, then there can begin to be real transformation, not only in our lives, but we become the well from which that love springs forth into the world around us in powerful and wonder ways, uh, wonderful ways. So here's the thing. You're valuable to the Lord. I said this in the first service, and um, I'll stand by it. Sister Russell is probably the most faithful attender of our church, of anybody who attends this church. She's been, uh, she's prayed, she's got more hours in prayer than I have years alive, I'm sure. She has more, you know, all of it would total more than my 35 years that I've been alive. Someone in the church is the biggest liar in the church, too, but I'm not going to volunteer for that. And so, uh, somebody has been attending church more faithfully and for a longer period of time than anybody else in our church. It might not be Sister Russell, but probably is. But let's just say, you know, we don't really know who it is, but there is some. How many know God actually knows that information? Like He could tell us who that was. And if we're not careful, then we would think that person has earned another level of God's love because they've outdone all the rest of us. 
and we get in this mindset that there are some Christians that are so good and so awesome and so faithful that they're like the varsity level. And then there's like the rest of us that like, you know, we make a lot of mistakes and we really don't get there all the time and, and we're like the JV level. And I just want you to understand something. Jesus is the only varsity level. All the rest of us are JV, okay? Uh, Jesus is the only one and his love for us is not conditional on our behavior. And that's why it's so important that you recognize and understand this statement. God does not love us because we're valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. We're not trying to earn His love as if we need to do something to increase our value. He loves us, and that in and of itself is what gives us our valuable. He doesn't love us because we're so doggone lovable. He loves us because He Himself is so loving. So understanding this helps us really get in touch with the outrageous grace of God. Uh, it's why I want to talk to you about this today. Uh, the kingdom of God is built on something much stronger than your ability to love God. How many of you are thankful the kingdom of God is built on something stronger than your ability to love God? The kingdom of God is actually built on the king's ability to love us. And that's a big shift. It's a big difference. Uh, there's this interesting breakdown of two, two people in the Bible, and I want to just give you this, this idea I wanted to give you this idea kind of in a capsule form. You can study it out if you'd like this week. It's not really the intent of my message, but it just speaks to this so well. So Jesus is about to be crucified, and he's having this conversation uh, with his disciples, and Peter says, I'll never deny you. I love you, and I'm declaring my love for you, and I'll never deny you. And, uh, you know, he was really bold about his love for Jesus. And, and Jesus, actually true to his word, was saying, you're going to deny me, like, tonight. You're, you, you may love me a lot, but tonight you're going to deny me. And, you know, it happened just as Jesus said. And, and Peter, who was bold about how much he loved God, denied Jesus that very day. But then there's this other disciple, and, um, and the Bible actually references John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you read the four Gospels, you'll read this six times in the Gospels. The disciple who Jesus loved. It didn't say the disciple who loved Jesus. It said it is the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, interestingly enough, six times in the four Gospels we read this, but Matthew never mentioned, oh, John. Yeah, that's the disciple Jesus loved. In fact, Mark didn't mention it either, nor did Luke. Only John in his own Gospel mentioned, uh, John, me, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. And I found that really humorous when I first figured this out until I really realized there's something God's revealing in this text of Scripture and it is that John didn't have a big, bold statement of how much he loved God. John had an incredible revelation about how much God loved him. And Peter disowned Jesus the very night he talked about his own love for God. But John saw it through all the way to the foot of the cross, standing there in the narrative when Jesus breathed his last breath, having a conversation with his mom and with John. Do you understand the difference in what I'm talking about? It's not about you being bold enough to love the Lord. It's about you being submitted to the love He's bestowed upon you. That's what's going to see you through. That's what's going to take you into a deeper place of really being faithful before Him. It's not about your sheer determination. It's about the love of God Almighty. And the Lord wants us to be able to see this, know this, and understand this 
And I'll just say it again. The kingdom of God is built on something much stronger than your ability to love God. The kingdom of God is built on God's ability to love you. So the text in 2 Timothy says this really interesting verse, uh, verse chapter 2, verse 13. It says, if we are faithless. Anyone ever feel faithless before? Anyone ever feel like you've let God down before? Raise your hand if you feel like you have let God down before. Uh, sinners everywhere. I feel right at home, okay? Uh, we need to understand this. When we feel faithless, when we feel like we've failed, we've made a mistake, there's so, so, such a reality when we see what the Bible says about what we're to do with that. Even if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. He does not stop loving you and cannot stop loving you because He cannot deny Himself. God, lo- the Father loved the Son unconditionally, and then the Son loved the Father unconditionally. Now, in the, before Jesus came, the Father loved all humanity, but humanity couldn't love unconditionally. Humanity kept making mistakes. And so there was a breakdown in that cycle, in that circle that existed there. So basically, Jesus came to complete the picture and, and fulfill the cycle where the Father would love the Son and the Son would love the Father. And then, then he looks to us and says, do you want to come into this circle, this unbreakable circle of the love of God that will never be broken? All you have to do is submit to the fact that Jesus came, he died on the cross so that you and I might have life. He is the Savior of the world. He is the redeemer of all humanity. He is the eraser of every mistake. He is a God who has shown his unconditional, undying, literally willing to die himself love that you and I might have this kind of confidence in the love of God Almighty. So there's this principle I want us to see because it's easy for us to feel unworthy. I know if I said, you know, how many of you feel unworthy? There are times that we feel so unworthy of the love of God. And that feeling of unworthiness drives us to try and do something to earn the love of God or to feel a little more worthy. And if I'm a little better than you, then I can kind of develop a little more worth in myself because at least I'm not as bad as you are. I mean, this is a horrible game that's played in religious circles in the day in which you and I live. Our goal here is never to make you religious. That is not what we want to do. We want you to be in relationship with your heavenly Father, understanding what that is about. It was the spirit of religion that crucified Jesus Christ, okay? We need to understand that and recognize that. It's a relationship with the Father that will liberate you into an understanding of a confidence of God's love that can allow you to stand before God and man with tremendous and true confidence from Him. And so we feel unworthy at times. And I want to explain this principle in Scripture. It's really kind of interesting. Like, do you do realize the year is just blazing by? Here we are in September. The, the leaves are starting to turn. It's going to be in the 50s, a high of 55 on this Wednesday. Has anybody seen this? It's going to snow in the panhandle. Uh, I saw one teacher's daughter said, all right, snow day. And the teacher said, yeah, get real. Like digital school, we don't have snow day anymore. So what a sad reality 2020 has brought. 
But, but understand, when we're looking at this whole transition of the season, like it's September, it's about October, like November's, I mean, you understand, Thanksgiving is going to be here before we know it. And, and many of you are going to have turkeys on your table, right? How many of you will have turkey for Thanksgiving? Can I just see turkey for Thanksgiving? And so you're going to eat from that turkey, and then there's going to be this pile of bones left over from the turkey, and we're all going to do the same thing with the bones. What's that? You just throw the bones away. You toss them in the trash. You get rid of the bones because that's just what we do. Bones really don't have any value. And you need to understand that as I read this text of Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 to 21, Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb, and when the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now, there are a lot of things we can see in this. Elijah became a mentor to Elisha and imparted something of the mantle and anointing to the next generation by giving that into Elisha. Uh, there are some theologians that would suggest Elisha didn't impart that, and that's why it was in the grave with the bones, because it didn't get to the next generation. I'm not really sure all that theologically, but what I do know is there's an important principle for us to see when we look at this. God used the bones, the things that the world would discard and throw away, God used the bones. That's why I want to talk to you about bones and barley bread because they have something in common when we look at them in Scripture. And I want you to know you might feel discarded. You might feel marginalized. You might feel like people really don't you know, have a lot of confidence in you because you've just wavered back and forth at times even in your faith. But I, I just tell you, that's many times where God does his best work. And the enemy's constantly trying to talk us out of being used mightily by God. And we, we default back to, all right, what do I have to do to earn God's love? We don't say it that way, but we do it that way. We function that way. And that in and of itself is dysfunction. So we see this same principle revealed in the feeding of the 5,000. And you've got this little boy, and he's got his lunch, and he shows up, and you know, he gives his lunch to, to Jesus, puts it in Jesus' hands. How many you know if you put what you have in your life in the hands of Christ, he'll do something powerful and profound with it? Uh, that's, I, I want to encourage you in this, just in, in this whole thing. Jesus is the master at doing more than we thought he could with less than we thought he needed. So why don't you stop trying to make it all real big and just learn in a posture of God never works with what you don't have. He always works with what you do have, and he always does more than you thought he ever could. It's just the nature of God. In any moment, any situation, any difficulty, those are where God just steps in and shows off the most to attract people to understand how he can be glorified in the most difficult of situations. I want to encourage you just in the same way uh, this boy put what the resource of his life in the hands of Jesus. I want to encourage you in that in your own life. I really challenge you to think about how to create margin in the way you live your life. How do you give time to people that are around you? How do you give uh, the talent that you have in your life to the people that are around you? How do you take the treasure that's been entrusted to your care and enrich other people's lives around you? And making time to purpose that is a really important part of the kingdom of God. In, in the church world, I, this morning, I mean, I got here early and I'm walking around and people are in every direction, sweeping the parking lot, making the coffee, trying to get all the sound systems working and all the gadgets going. 
I mean, it was, it, I, I was kind of surprised how many people were combing across the campus to get everything going for the morning. And I just thought, man, I'm so thankful for the people who served this house so well so we could come in here and just experience the glory and the presence of God so consistently week after week. Would you just help me say thank you to everybody who does so much around this place? Come on, let's do Let's just honor the Lord and God's people who are doing so much. Now, I'm so thankful for um, the story that we started with today, Pastor A.T. talking about the masks that we were able to distribute in the public schools, a couple thousand masks, and we've been on uh, public school marquees this week saying, thank you, Destiny, for making a difference. That's been great. Uh, you'll hear next week, Pastor Chris will be back in town. Uh, we've had an in incredible opportunity this last week just to meet with some key city officials, and there are so many things going on right now from, from this house in terms of community transformation that we've now started to interface and intersect with key community leaders. And so in this meeting, there was a police chief, um, a child protective services, a detective. I mean, there were multiple people from the community and a few of our staff in the room. And the conclusion of the conversation was, it's amazing that what we have actually is going to intersect in a way in the community that's going to reach into some of the deepest sense of need that exists in the community in which we serve. I mean, it's really powerful, and Pastor Chris will give you some specifics of how that's going to work, but I just want you to know it's because of our existence as a church family, our faithfulness to be here, to show up, to serve, to give, to bring our tithes, our offerings before the Lord, that, that, that we're actually able to see the kingdom of God expand as a result of our existence here. How many of you know that God wants to enlarge his kingdom in the earth? God, I want to say that loud and clear, God wants to enlarge his kingdom in the earth. I have a, a friend that, that has a, started a tree trimming business just to do some extra work during COVID excitement. And um, it, I mean, one thing led to another. He got another call, another call. And now he's like got this big tree trimming business. And he was talking with me last week. And he said, man, if you know like a widow that just needs help at her house, God has so blessed my business that, um, you know, I would be glad just to go and serve the Lord by ministering to a widow because God loves the orphans and the widows. And I just want to give some thought to how I can serve the heart of Jesus. How many of you know this is a big problem? If he starts to do this, his business is going to get bigger. How many of you know that's true? Like he's already had to hire people now, and now he's wanting to be more generous with it. And, and I mean, we understand that principle, don't we? But don't just look at that principle in him. Think about that principle in you. God wants to increase and enlarge you that he might increase and enlarge his kingdom as an expression of all of our lives. This is exactly what we see happening in this miracle of the 5,000. But there's something that I think most people never see in the miracle of, of the feeding of the 5,000 that is utterly significant. If you're not careful, you miss it because the, the big story uh, kind of overshadows it. But after the big story happens and everybody's been fed, John chapter 6, verse 12 says this. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Now, my title today is Bones and Barley Bread. So I've already explained a little bit of bones. There are other illustrations that we can point to in Scripture. 
uh, in regard to bones and the miracles of God through bones, the valley uh, of dry bones. But, but if we just look at barley bread, the Bible specifically names the bread the boy had as barley bread. How many of you know the Bible's full of details that are there on purpose? So when you see a detail like that, you probably should take a little bit of time and try and figure out why was it significant that we know what kind of bread it was. So I explored this, and I began to look at it. You know what I found? Barley bread was actually known, very, um, very widely known, as the poor man's bread. So this was not just bread that he gave. It was poor man's bread. So now after all, everybody had eaten fish and, and bread, and then Jesus said, I want you to gather the pieces that are left over, and let's let nothing be wasted. Now, this was to begin with poor man's bread, and now it's half-eaten poor man's bread, and people probably got full, and they threw it in the dirt. They discarded it. It had probably been stepped on and, and completely neglected, and what does Jesus do? He says, that which people cannot see any value in, I see great value in. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You are valuable because he loves you. Your value is not determined by how other people around you see you. It's determined by the very love of God. And Jesus said, I want to make a point here. Let's get the discarded leftovers and let's gather them up. They wind up getting 12 basketfuls. And I think it just speaks so much. Some of us feel marginalized. Some of us feel discarded. Some of us feel like nobody even cares. Some of us feel like we've been wallowing in the dirt. And Jesus is there saying, I'm not going to waste a single disappointment. I'm not going to waste a single hurt. I'm not going to waste a single moment of pain. Jesus never wastes a single hurt. Jesus never wastes a single disappointment. And that's just how loving he truly is. How many of you have ever gone through some hurt before? Can I just see? Just raise your hand. You've gone through. There's some pain going on in our world right now in a variety of places, in a variety of expressions. And I want you to know God knows every bit of the pain you may be facing. I want us to carry, as the worship team is coming up, I want us to carry what it is that God's revealing into a place of really holding that before him today as a part of our congregational assignment where we bring the things that we've walked through. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like to just harp on it all the time, say it all the time, but I just feel the Lord asking me to say it. And, and most of you know what I'm going to say. As a child walking through a situation of being victimized sexually, you know, it, it, it impacted me in a way emotionally and, and intellectually and, you know, mentally, spiritually. To be molested as a child, it's, I mean, there's just something so damaging that can happen if you keep rehearsing the pain can I just tell you I'm free <laughs> like the only time I ever rehearse that is just to tell people like don't let your past have that much control God's healed and restored me I'm so thankful for 30 years of marriage and a, a, a healthy well marital relationship Tracy and I I'm just so appreciative of our marriage that we have and our daughters um, that love the Lord and, and they've grown up in a home where they you know we've got our issues and our dysfunction uh, that exists in our lives but 
They are girls have grown up in a home that understand what it is to be spiritually well, to rely on God when we're weak and when we make our mistakes. And I just want to encourage you. I just feel the Lord saying there's some really deep areas of pain that exist in some people's lives that are listening to the sound of my voice, maybe online, maybe on campus, maybe both. And God just wants to reach into those areas of your life and restore them. Sometimes God redeems your past by surrounding you with people who need to hear your pain so your past never becomes their future. Sometimes he redeems your story by positioning you to do what I just did, and that is to share the pain of your past, whatever that may look like, so that other people don't live in their past for the rest of their life. Would you just stand? Let's stand and, and intentionally stand in the love of God right now. As you stand, just let a fresh mantle of God's love come upon you. Just a fresh mantle of God's love. On the night before Jesus gives his life to rescue us, he prays this prayer. And I want to release this over you as we're standing just in a renewed understanding, a deeper understanding, a greater understanding, a clearer understanding. Listen carefully. A, a revelation of God's love that's coming from a future frame of reference of what he's about to do in the church. You've got to have an understanding of just how loved you are to be able to fully cooperate with what God is about to do. Jesus prayed this prayer the night before he died for us. Father, I have made your name known to them. John chapter 17, verse 26. This is the Amplified Bible. And I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, overwhelming their heart, and I may be in them. Jesus, we know that you pray powerful prayers. And here we are standing as recipients of the prayer of Jesus where your love not only came to us to redeem us, but your love restored us in such a way that we've become a well, a source of love where your love comes out of us into the world around us as an expression of who you are once we stop trying to earn what you've freely deposited within us. I thank you. The prayers of Jesus are powerful. The Father loved Jesus. May that love be in us, overwhelming our hearts, and that Jesus would be in us at work. So we want to surrender to that, Lord, that we would become the fountain of your love to the world around us. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I, I want to I just ask you specifically this week, you know, we, we always want to devote ourselves to an action point, not just be hearers, but to be doers. That's how we bring God's presence to real life. That's what that GP2RL action point is every week. We bring God's presence to real life. And I want to just challenge you this week. Discover God's love in you by searching for ways uh, to offer random acts of kindness to the people around you. You don't have to do something huge. 
You know, this morning I actually gave someone a card that I just wanted to uh, voice appreciation. And I walked away from handing them a card and somebody came up and handed me a card. And they just wanted to voice appreciation. How I many you know it just keeps on going that way, doesn't it? I want to encourage you, a card, a note, a text message, uh, something this week, every single day, just purposing kindness to others, just beginning to explore what it is to be a well, a reservoir of God's love that turns into a river when we begin to pour that out. Lord, we just want to surrender to you in what you're doing. Lord, overwhelm our heart with your love, I pray. The very prayer that you prayed, Jesus, let us experience that. You would overwhelm our hearts with your love. That it would begin as we make a decision to say, Jesus came, he lived, and he died, but he's alive. Jesus came to rescue all humanity. I thank you that you're the Savior of the world. And today we acknowledge that we need you to rescue us, Lord Jesus. Come on, if you agree with that, would you just say amen? amen. He is the Savior of the world. And believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth is really all that you have to do to enter into that place. So maybe you just declared that uh, for the first time. But perhaps you're growing in a deeper revelation of that as we just surrender more completely to him. And Lord, I pray that you would just take us all deeper. Help us to grow in a knowledge of your love and an understanding of where our value comes from. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm going to just invite our uh, prayer team to be available right outside in the lobby just as we continue in worship. And there's a table out there so there can be social distancing if you would like to ensure that we want to love you well and accommodate that. But I want to ask if you have any need of prayer. If if today you're making a decision, today I'm going to serve the Lord with the rest of my life. Uh, then let us connect with you on that level and and explain just a little bit of what this journey of salvation is all about. So as we worship, then feel free, you can just step out there where the prayer team is. But I want to ask you to see the value of this part of our congregational assignment together is to take that which God's been stirring in our hearts and now we begin to formulate it into an expression of our words. And, And can I just, let me just ask you, I want to appeal to you Will you purpose just to really go deep, fast in these moments of worship that we have? Like really engage. Just reflect on the words that we're about to start singing together and sing them from the heart. You know, the words are on the screen that don't really mean anything if our hearts are not engaged. And so Lord, I pray just as we stand here in your love, and you renew our understanding of the depth of your love. I pray, Lord, that our words would have meaning and significance as an expression, as the family of God and declaration of who you are to us, who we are to you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.